Well, good morning. If you'll be opening up your, up your Bibles to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. It is good to be here this morning. I am so glad uh, to be here with you. Uh, here visiting my parents for the holidays and my brother who lives over in Fort Worth. And so it was a great opportunity for us to swing by and see everyone. And wow, how you have changed. And don't you say the same thing about me. But <laughs> no, it has been a while since we have been here. And it's a blessing to see uh, so many wonderful faces and uh, be in this place again. Um, it's not only the people have changed, but wow, it's hard to find the building these days. It's that the, the, all the surroundings have changed. It looks like Texas. It looks like River Oaks, but it's just, everything is so different. Time changes uh, and uh, very quickly. Uh, we're in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. Evidently, uh, when Peter is writing his first epistle, to several churches, many churches in, in modern-day Turkey. He's writing to them, encouraging believers who are undergoing serious persecution, that is, threatening to shake their faith. Uh, we don't know exactly what type of persecutions they're going through. It doesn't look like they are uh, going through uh, physical persecutions, dying for their faith, but it seems that there is general suspicion. There is contempt for Christianity that leads uh, to a loss of friends, to the loss of work, to uh, general hardships. And it's, it's difficult. It's enough that Peter compares their difficulties to a trial by fire in chapter 1 and verse 7, a fiery trial, chapter 4 and verse 12. The brethren are hurting. It's painful. I became a Christian, but now the whole world is against me. I thought life would get better. I thought God would protect me. Is it really worth it? We are blessed not to have to go through some of the same ordeals that our brethren in the first century had to go through. Uh, we do not undergo the same physical persecutions that they go through today. However, when we start to compare the words of Peter to our own situation, uh, we there is some uh, good comparisons. There are brethren even now that are hurting and going through difficulties. I hurt. I'm in pain. I thought things would be different. Is it really worth it? In his letter, Peter is going to respond to these questions with a resounding yes. You don't belong. You're going to suffer. But don't forget the glorious salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, which makes everything worth it. Let's look in the text and see what Peter says. Peter uh, begins in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So Peter begins speaking to all these Christians in various places. He speaks to them as exiles, Christians who may have been born in these areas, but they live as exiles because while they are in the world, they are not of the world. 
They're exiles. They're strangers. However, they are chosen. God has chosen them. And God has chosen them through the work, the foreknowledge of the Father, the work of the Spirit, and obedience to Jesus Christ. I think it's significant that in this verse we have all three of the persons of deity mentioned. We don't have very many verses in the New Testament that do something like this. There are several verses that, that do this. Um, but when it, when it does happen, it is, it is uh, surprising. One of the verses that comes to mind, for example, is in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, where after Jesus rises from the dead and he sends out his, uh, his apostles to preach the gospel to all the different nations, uh, he tells them uh, that they go in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, or starting verse 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I command you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There we have, again, the three persons of deity mentioned in one verse, uh, which is significant. But it makes you question, well, why? Why, why does he mention the, the, the three persons in this, in this one verse? Uh, he had, had just said in verse 18, all authority has been given to me. And now when you go and baptize, you baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy. Could he have just said, go and baptize in my name since I have all authority? Well, and that's in fact what Peter does in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 38. He talks about, he says, repent to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the emphasis that we see in the, 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 the book of Acts. But here he mentions all three persons of deity. Well, the question is why? And maybe the best answer is I don't know. But I wonder if the purpose here, as he's sending out these 12 apostles who are going out into this world to preach the gospel to the entire world, wow, that is a huge task. That's huge. I mean, could you imagine if, if, if you have 12 people to preach the gospel in Fort Worth? Well, that's, that's huge. Texas, well, and that's even bigger. The whole world, Wow. How are we going to do that? You don't do this alone. You go with the Father. When you baptize, you baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit. When you preach, you preach in my name. You go with all of God. And so there's this emphasis and this encouragement that all of God is working on your side. I wonder if that is the same idea when we get to 1 Peter and he's talking to these Christians who are suffering. You are exiles, but you know what? You are chosen and God has you in his mind. And in fact, look what God has been doing for you and is doing for you. He mentions the Father and the work that he does in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He talks about God, the Father and his foreknowledge. There are several verses that talk about the fact that, that that God, the Father is the one who planned our salvation from the beginning of time. It is the Holy Spirit who does his work in sanctifying, sanctifying through his word, sanctifying through his work. And of course, it is Jesus Christ who comes and sprinkles us with his blood, making uh, a reference to the, the Old Testament practice of sprinkling the people with, it, with the blood of the Lamb. We are sanctified we are purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
I think it is significant that when we think about our salvation, Jesus is involved, the Spirit is involved, the Father is involved, it is all of God who is involved. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> but we have a salvation that is wrought by God. That's amazing. Let me put it in these terms, and maybe this is not the best illustration, but I think you can understand it. I have a few paintings uh, that uh, uh, belong to me that were painted by my grandfather. I love my grandfather. He passed away not too many years ago, and he painted those. Uh, some other things that, that, that he's done, those are special to me because he did it. Now, if someone had taken, takes this painting and says, ah, I think I'll paint something else. No, you don't. <laughs> you take your hands off that. that. That's what my grandfather did because of who did it, what he has done, the work that he has put into it, it makes it something that is special. We have a salvation that is not just something that we have done. It is something that is wrought by God and he has given it to us. It is wrought by all of God and put into our hands. What is the encouragement? Don't give it up. It is special. Keep going. But not only is it special because it is a salvation that is brought to us by the hands of God himself, but it is also a salvation that is secure for us. Look with me in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's this emphasis in verse 3 where Peter is again blessing the God, blessing the Father for what he has done for us. He says in verse 3 that we have been born again, been born again as citizens of a new country, born again into this new family. We have been baptized, and because of this, we've been, we've been born into a living hope, which is just an interesting way to talk about our hope. It is a living hope. I guess the opposite would be it's a, a dead hope, a hope that doesn't have any promise at all. But no, we have a living hope, a living hope that will always be. It is secure. It is something that is alive. But this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you remember the, the, the passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where he talks about the significance of the, the resurrection and says that in, there that, that if, if Christ had not been raised, there is no hope. There is no hope for us. But because he is raised, we have been born again to a living hope, something that we can look forward to. We've been, been born again to obtain an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is undefiled, unfading, having been kept in, in heaven for you. You are protected by the power of God through faith for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In verse 4, there are several words that I think we can understand intellectually, but it's hard to understand in a real, in a real way. When we talk about something that is incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, what in the world does that look like? Because everything that I see in this world, what does it look like? It's falling apart. It's fading. It's defiled. Everything that we see is touched by sorrow and pain and death. But what is waiting for us in heaven is not like that. That is hard for me to imagine even what that would look like. He says, blessed be our God who has saved us, who has made us be born again to this living hope. We have something there that is absolutely amazing and it is, it is waiting for us. And not only is it waiting for us, he says in verse 5, you who are protected by the power of God for a salvation to be revealed at the last time. I don't think this is a verse that, there are several verses that we can see uh, in the New Testament that teach us that we can lose our salvation. If we jump ship, if we run from God, God is not going to hold us back from that. But the emphasis that is here, that even though we are going through all these sorrows and difficulties and sufferings, that doesn't take anything away. There is nothing that can take us away from the love of our God. It is something that is secure for us there. And so when we are in moments of suffering and difficulty and sadness, remember that we have something waiting for us that is perfect. And it is worth it to wait. Put your eyes on that salvation. We have a salvation that is wrought by God himself. We have a salvation that is secured in God's hand. In verse 6, Peter says that we have a salvation that is greater than our pain. Look in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, that image of what is waiting for us. We rejoice in that. Even though, though now for a little while, if it is necessary... You have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receive as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So we look forward to the day when we can be there in heaven and, and enjoy these things that are incorruptible and, and unfading and, and, and not like with the things that we see now. But we're not there yet. And right now we're having to go through these various trials in verse 6, a testing of our faith, various trials. But number one, Peter says that the salvation that we have, the salvation that is waiting for us is greater than all of these trials that we are going through. 
I want to emphasize that Peter is not trying to diminish the pain of the Christians or saying that what you're going through, ah, that's nothing. I was stoned, stoned and, and beaten. You know. What you're going through is nothing. That's not what Peter's trying to say. But he is trying to say that these trials that you're going through, this is just a little while. I, I think we need that reminder as well. That whatever pain that we have to go through, whatever suffering, whatever, whether it is persecution because of our faith, or it is just the, the, the suffering of this world, even if I have to suffer for a lifetime, that is still just a drop in the bucket of eternity. In fact, everything under the light of eternity looks so different. And we need to remember that whatever we are going through is just a little while. And then we will go on to something so much greater. And in fact, the suffering that I go through now does not go without purpose. He says here in verse 7 that this is the proof of my faith when I have to suffer. These various trials that are the proof of my faith. It, It becomes something that is more precious than gold which is perishable, being tested by fire. I think the language that he is using is the language of refining gold, refining silver. That in order to refine these precious metals, you have to put them under heat. And it's difficult. It's horrible. And you can can imagine that the amount of temperature that is is, uh, on these materials. But what is the result? It is something that is refined and beautiful and wonderful. That God in this suffering, in my suffering, that God has a purpose to refine me. To make me into what he wants me to be. I need a lot of refining. And through God's wisdom, he refines me. He makes me into the child of God that he wants me to be. So that in the end, I will see him. I will see his face. And all in verse 7, what it says, all the praise and glory and honor will be given to him. It is kind of startling for me in verse 7 that I have to go through all this pain and now the glory and honor goes to someone else (laughs) from a superficial superficial mindset. That that, that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? And you have someone from the outside might ask you, why would you even do this? Because we love him. I've never met Jesus. I've never seen him. But as it says in verse 8, I love him. I don't see him now. I've never heard his voice. But I believe in him. Not in some warm, fuzzy kind of superficial faith. I've never seen Jesus with my eyes. I've never heard him with my ears. But I have seen Jesus through his apostles. I have heard his voice through these gospels that we have here. And what I see and what I hear convinces me that he is the son of God. And he will come again. What we have to go through now is difficult. 
It is painful. But one day, we'll be watching the horizon and something will appear. I don't know what that will be like. But all those cares and worries and difficulties that I thought were so important in my life will be erased at the coming glory of my Lord Jesus Christ. We have a salvation that has been wrought by God himself. We have a salvation that is waiting for us, that is secure. We have a salvation that is much greater than all of our pain. We also have salvation that is desired by others. Look with me in verse 10. This is an interesting passage. In verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, inquiring to know what time or what kind of time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating that he was predicting, was, he was predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been declared to you through those who proclaimed the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. In verse 10, it talks about the prophets and these, these wonderful characters that we have in the Old Testament, that these characters like, like, uh, like Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, these characters that, 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 that we lift up and say, wow, what holy people, what knowledgeable people. But it says that even they wanted to know more. Who is this? Who has been prophesied? Who is this Messiah that you're talking about? What is this salvation that you've prophesied about time and time again? I can think of uh, Daniel specifically in Daniel chapter 12. And Daniel, well, there are various places in the book of Daniel where Daniel just looks into all these prophecies that God is making and then he just scratches his head and he has a headache and he just goes to bed. He's just, what in the world is this? Daniel chapter 12, for example, in Daniel chapter 12, after, after listening to this long prophecy and this vision about this king attacking this king, and the, it's, it, it's a mess. If you don't understand, well, it's difficult to understand it, even if you, you live on our side of history. But in chapter 12, he says, what's going on, basically, is what Daniel says. When is all, this all going to take place? Am I going to have anything to do with this? And there's this very touching moment where God turns to Daniel and he says, this is not for you, Daniel. This is for people in the future. But you go your way. You've done your part. He says that the saints in the future are have to, going to have to undergo some difficult things, but I'm going to be with them. This is for them. And all these prophecies about the Messiah, about, about, about this, this, this suffering servant, Isaiah 53, about all of this, the, the, these, these prophecies about this Messiah to come. I can't imagine being one of these prophets. I'm just wondering, I, I want to know more. Who is this? He is wonderful. But all of this was written on your behalf, on my behalf so that we could know Jesus for who he is. Sometimes we don't appreciate, I'm thinking about kids, sometimes kids don't appreciate the toys that they have until the neighbor kid comes along and says, I want that. No, it's mine. 
We don't appreciate the, what, what treasures we have until someone else comes along and says, wow, do you know how valuable that is? We don't appreciate our salvation until we know that if Isaiah were here, if Daniel were here, he would say, what are you thinking? Putting that salvation in danger. Don't you realize what you have in your hands? The amazing thing is that not only is it the, the, the prophets who are amazed by this message. This is something I don't understand, but in verse 12, he says, even the angels longed to look into this. That they were left clueless. But now, thousands of years later, comes a Messiah who dies for us. And now, thousands of years later, this message has been left into our hands. We have to take and re respect what God has done for us and appreciate it that no matter what we have to go through, salvation that God has prepared for us is so worth it. We have a salvation that is wrought by God himself. A salvation that is reserved for us in the heavens that will never fade. We have a salvation that is greater than all of our pain. We have a salvation that was desired even by the saints of old. We need to put our eyes on these blessings so that whatever temptation, whatever suffering, whatever distraction comes our way, that we re refocus ourselves and what God has done for us. This is how Paul or Peter ends his phrases or his, uh, his note in verse 13. He says, Therefore, therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your eyes, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, because if you can understand what a great salvation we have, put your hope completely on it. There's not many things in life that you want to say, put all of your eggs in one basket. <laughs> but here's one thing where Peter says, you, you, put, you put everything in this. Invest everything in this salvation. Put your eyes completely on him. Because he will come, and the salvation that awaits us is well worth it all. Thank you so much, brethren, for your time. Let us refocus on this salvation, on this God who's done everything for us. Thank you so much.